Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. Keeping things going here with episode six of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. And I'm excited to have editor Nona Kodai on the show today. She recently worked on season two of The Boys, which is now available to stream on Amazon. Before I get to my guest, though, I want to thank the Hollywood Editing Mentor community for hitting me up with questions for Nona. And special shout outs go to George, Edward, and Adrian for sending those in. All right, so today I'm talking to editor Nona Kodai, a Southern California native and USC Cinema School grad who has worked on the FX series The Strain, NBC's Revolution, Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, and most recently seasons one and two of the Amazon series The Boys. Today we're going to talk about her journey from the sound department to the editing chair and the way she handles the challenges associated with being an editor. She'll also share her experience as a woman working in this industry and talk about the importance of having a diverse editorial team. And being that The Boys is one of my favorite shows at the moment, I'm definitely going to ask her about her time working on the series. So a lot of great stuff to talk about today. This one's going to have a lot of great information for everyone. So check it out, guys. Episode 6 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast with editor Nona Kodai. I'm here with uh, editor Nona Kodai uh, here in the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast enjoying this beautiful Saturday morning. How are you doing, Nona? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, I got I got to say something. Just a quick little side note here. Um, I, I told you know, I mentioned to the people. Oh yeah, I'm talking to Nona, like mutual friends, and they're like, oh yeah, she's great, she's awesome. But you know, other people that have never met you, and they said, oh, she seems really cool. <laughs> From where? From other <laughs> colleagues. I mean, people that have not met you, but they I've, they told me, oh, she seems really cool, and I have to agree. Yes, you are really cool. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> really. <laughs> so nice to hear well I'm glad people think that I'm nice I I hope that you know we all are nice to each other because we all try to help each other eventually in this industry and so it's not good to put that vibe out in the world I want to put out that good solid uh vibe of being friendly so I appreciate hearing <laughs> that yeah uh and I'm sure you'll 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 all meet each other soon and uh but no I, I like hearing that because it is you know it's important to put out the positivity and and that positive energy and just you know being available to help people um and that's obviously part of this Hollywood Entertainment program and you know with this podcast and you know also so that people get to know you know other you know post-production professionals in this industry and, and hear stories from them and advice so it's great. It's it's awesome. But but yes, I, it, right away when we talked the first time, I'm like, oh, she's awesome. We had a very long conversation that could have been used. <laughs> yeah. Probably that was that was part one of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, we should have recorded it. I got nervous, and you know, you just don't know if you're saying everything correctly or it's not always easy, especially being behind the scenes. Uh, person behind the scenes we don't really like to be in the spotlight yeah including me i don't really like it but um i'm glad to be a part of it um as much as i can um and i'm happy to help anybody with the time a lot of that i have and of other people as much as i can i i really do love it um i like meeting new people and uh i want to encourage people to have this as a career if they want to it's very difficult i always put that in context if you really love it you should do it but only if you really love it because it's very difficult and as you know this isn't always uh, for everybody <laughs> so um and and it's a very difficult difficult job that we all have but it's very rewarding at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, 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 I know that firsthand. I totally I get it after, you know, finally, you know, working in this industry and, you know, it, it, I see what you're saying and it's, it, it's true. And yeah, you know, I, I want to obviously uh, 
know more about you, kind of your, your your background. I, I know that uh, you also uh, started in in in, in sound uh, before getting into editing. So I'm really curious about that. As someone, I'm obsessed with sound, so I really want to hear uh, just kind of why you got into it and then then made the transition to, to editorial. But um, yeah, if you can give us kind of like you know just like a little insight into into your your background and and how you got into into editing. Sure. Um, well. I was born and raised in Southern California. I grew up in uh, Orange County and uh, I really liked, you know, film and television and, and whatnot. I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a career. I, you know, I thought I would be a doctor like both my sisters are. And I realized it was really hard to get into medical school and it's really grueling. Both my sisters are much older than me. And so I saw the process and I kind of didn't want to go through that path. So I ended up, um, I really liked to dance and I liked music a lot. I used to dance to, I used to tap dance. And so I, um, I looked it up. I, I looked up like what kind of in, included all of that and cinema came up and I was like, Oh, cinema, I guess I could do that as a career. And then I looked up what school to go to and USC was the, the first school was like number one film school. And both my sisters actually had gone to USC and I had really wanted to go to USC, but I like, there was no reason for me to go if, unless it, there was a reason, like it's so it's an expensive school. I just don't want the loans. And so I, I, you know, I took an editing class in high school and I really liked it. It was really fun and and I really liked the sound of it at all. And so I ended up applying to USC and getting in. I didn't get into the film program at first, but I decided just to do undeclared and go to school and, and be part of the Trojan family and football and all that stuff. Anyways, so I, um, when, when I finally got into my junior year, I applied again and I got into the film program. And when I did get into the film program, I ended up for some reason liking sound a lot. I had a really amazing professor junior year in this class called 310, um, where you're basically paired with a partner and you, um, do your own movies and and your own five minute shorts and so our professor his name was eric adol he is uh an amazing sound designer he has been now nominated multiple times for an oscar but he really just shut kind of you know helped me understand how important sound was how it was 50 percent of the experience how it really changed how picture looked and I really appreciated it. And I fell in love with sound. It's like part of the process of filmmaking that I really love. It gets underrepresented a lot. And we have a, we had a lot of amazing professors at USC that did sound. We had, you know, Don Hall, who's Academy Award nominated sound designer, as well as a professor at Kenny Hall who's a music editor as well. And so you just really loved that. And so I started doing sound and then I, when I got out of school, I started as well. And I worked with a bunch of sound designers and I realized it was really tedious and it was really difficult getting a full-time job doing that. And so I decided, it, I, and at the same time, I was working as an assistant editor for these Hallmark movies. Um, I got a job from a friend of a friend and, uh, like as a side job. And I actually liked it more than a, the sound aspect of everything. And so I ended up just kind of putting aside sound design and moving into picture editing. And, and partially because I had a class at USC that was mixing, uh, re-recording mixing. And I saw how the editor in the class or in, in the mixing stage was basically telling the mixer what to do. And I kind of loved that. I was like, Oh, so the editor's in charge, not the mixer. I didn't realize that you don't realize that going into it. And so I ended up being like, that's what I want to do. I want to be in charge and I want to tell them what to do, not the other way around. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, so, yeah, no. <laughs> you're like, that's, so, that's all me right there. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, well, so I had already gone the job as an assistant editor. I didn't realize that that's how you move up. You become an assistant then you become an editor just fell into my lap. I didn't realize that I was gotten so lucky and it was a non-union job. So I was able to get my days 
uh, on these Hallmark movie of the weeks. And, um, and, and, and actually after a couple of years of working there after USC, um, my friend, Evan Schiff, um, recommended me to work on this movie called from Mexico with love with an editor named Sean Albertson, who, um, who also did Rocky Balboa. And so I ended up uh, getting this job from, from Mexico with love. Um, I actually ended up working from home on that movie, which was really funny. Ironic. Yeah. But I would like set up the, I, I would set up uh, the dailies in his, in, at his house. And then I would work from my house and um, they liked me enough because they hired me on Rambo. So that is my, that was, those two jobs were my first two union jobs in the industry. And I'm so thankful for Evan and for Sean um, for giving me those, that opportunity, because I would not be here without them. Um, and there, I learned so much from both of them. And um, Evan actually had to leave early to do another movie. But I stayed on as the second assistant on that movie. And um, from there, Sean took me to um, a Warner Brothers show called Moonlight. Um, and uh, as well, I met another editor as well from Rambo and from Moonlight um, named Scott Wallace, who then took me on to a show called Pushing Daisies. Um, and from then, I got into the studio system and... Um, went from job to job, met a lot of editors, and then finally got, got my bump on a show called Revolution with Eric Kripke as showrunner. And he's um, he's the reason I was on The Boys. So, you know, you just have to be nice to people and they help you get to where you want to get to. Um, and you got to work hard as well. I always say that if you're skilled is the one thing, but you have to be nice and you have to be willing to work hard to get to where you where you want to get to right well i mean look i'm, I'm honestly i mean I, I i'm telling you that you know people that have not met you i probably have seen you somewhere i mean but they they, they told me <laughs> she seems really cool so i can i mean and, and honestly i mean talking to you i mean i, I have we haven't met in person um no. and this is the uh, first time that we actually seeing each other through you know video conferencing, but I, yeah. I already can tell that like, you have very positive energy and just a really nice person. So I could you know I, I understand what you're saying. And would you say that that is something that has allowed you to progress in your career? I think so. I think being nice and willing to work hard is very much my philosophy in life. Not that I'm not always. I'm not a pushover. Um, I try not to be, it's hard, but you know, and sometimes I, I'm not always the nicest person. I always tell my assistant, I, I've been with my, I've, I've had the same assistant for four years. And I told him, I think when I interviewed him, I was like, I'm not always easy. I'm not easy to work with. I expect a lot. I'm particular. And, um, and you know, I, I may not like everything you do. I, try to be nice but like you know i for the most part when you meet me i will be as as ni nice as possible but like sometimes i'm not always easy to work with ease either um because i s expect a lot from people and it's because i put in that effort and so i expect them to do the same and i you know sometimes i i shouldn't expect those those things but uh I don't know. I, I, I want perfection if I can, um, and things. And sometimes that's not everyone's philosophy, which is okay, but that's just not how I work. Yeah. How do you, how do you find that, I guess that, that balance, you know, with say being, you know, nice, but like you said, you know, also communicating that you, I mean, you are, we want perfection. I mean, you are, you want something really good, something great. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, is it something you consciously kind of think about and manage, or is it just kind of, it's your personality kind of just on autopilot kind of adapts to certain situations? I don't know. I, I don't, sometimes I don't adapt. I, I think it's a case by case basis. I think we all make mistakes. I for sure have. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, and, and you learn from them. And so sometimes I'm not 
always good at explaining myself or communicating. And then I, you know, I think about it and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, or I should have said that, or, you know, maybe I should have spoken up. Maybe I shouldn't have spoken up, you know, like you just learn from your mistakes and, and hope, hopefully, you know, you get hired again, or you, hopefully they end up liking you or not. You know, I've, I've had, sometimes it's difficult when you work with new people. Sometimes it's, you know, it's easier. It just depends. I think the luxury of this profession is that you, you get to work with a lot of people. And so you can change, change, change a little bit, like from job to job, maybe one job didn't go so well. And the people, it was as, wasn't as easy with those people. So you can start over with some other new people. But I always say like, even so, you know, your reputation also comes around and goes around. And so you have to make sure that you're not disrupting it too much because it, you know, people talk and every, and as all we know, as everyone knows, this industry is very small, especially in post and everybody calls up everyone else. I, I mean, I think the other day I got a call like, Oh, have you worked with this person? What do you think? And so you, you know, as much as we, we say, we don't talk, we all do talk and it's very small. So I think it's good to be nice, but also like not always, you know, also you, you gotta make sure that you're, your, your presence is known in a way. I don't know. It's, it's hard. I think this job is really hard because you're also like a therapist to the directors and showrunners, but you also are therapists to your assistants and they're therapists for you. And we're all just like complaining about everything to each other. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, sometimes, cause I, I, I realize that it's not even, you know, now doing this, it's like, it's, it's not even the, the, the technical stuff, you know, the stuff we do on Avid that's necessarily like hard. It's like, it's all the other, these layers that maybe you don't hear about other things that you don't hear about in, uh, maybe in school or, you know, or, right. you know, it, it, it has to do with relationships with, with communication, managing politics. Yeah. I think that that's what, you know, maybe the, the hours and that's what makes it more than anything difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, politics, is, yeah, politics are difficult. And then I, I feel like because the hours are so long, you're not able to like, sometimes I get so tired. I don't know how to react to things. Like I'm so overwhelmed and exhausted. Sometimes I react badly because I'm so tired and, and, and that's not good either. <laughs> so we, our emotions are rampant because we're all so exhausted a lot of the time but you know you have to make sure that you take care of yourself as well and get an exercise and put in the time for yourself because you'll go crazy like I I can end up going crazy if I don't make time for myself because you're always working and you're always in deadline mode uh which is not healthy Right. You know, uh, for all of us, I, I know we all as editors talk about it like the hours are real kill us but you know, there has to be a good work-life balance in some ways. These deadlines are sometimes not realistic, you know, and we all want to do a good job. And so it's, it's hard to make it like do a great job, but also have a life. And I struggle with that constantly still today. <laughs> no, right. <laughs> you know, these are, rea these are realities of, of the job. Right. I mean, I think it's, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I mean, two things like, for example, like what you said right now about taking care of yourself or ourselves is, you know, I, that's why through this Hollywood editing mentor program, I do talk about, you know, I, I did a video on, on, on avoiding burnout. So it was about, you know, doing yeah. exercise, doing exercise, staying active, you know, eating properly, eating the right, you know, proper nutrition, yeah. um, and, and getting the right amount of sleep. Right. I mean, we do have to a certain extent control of, 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 of creating a certain, lifestyle for us we have to you know sure the job is one thing yeah but then we do have control about how we manage all this other stuff that's outside the job and but i think it's important to pay attention to it and do develop some type of healthy lifestyle because it is what will allow us to kind of stay healthy well stay healthy and keep us keep going and thriving uh in this industry um yeah because uh i mean yeah that's just it's just a reality and i think also it's uh you know, some people need to really look at that and say, is this for me? Absolutely. And I've had friends who are like on these big movies. I've had, I've heard, you know, they've worked a 24 hour shift and then 
they get called back in because the director wants them to come back in for another shift and they haven't had their eight hour turnaround or, you know, and of course you're going to burn out. Like you, you can't, you can't be working for 24 hours and coming back in to work. It's just not sustainable. And I've had those jobs as an assistant where I've worked 27 hours and then I've had this, cause we've had a preview and it's, and it's insane. Like, how do you have a life if you're expected to work all these hours? You know, it's, it's not sustainable and people burn out. And luckily I'm, you know, I've stayed in it, but I've, I've thought about leaving too. We all have, I think, in, in some ways in getting a normal nine to nine to five job. But the problem with those jobs is it's not fulfilling like these jobs are. So there's a, there's differences in that. And so it's really difficult to, to juggle it all. Um, I still struggle as, as you know, with it, um, especially being a woman. I think I always feel like coming into a job especially a new job with new people, I have to work extra hard to, to make sure that they know I, I'm good at my job. I always feel like I have to work harder than everyone else to, to, to get my position because, um, you know, you get judged by how you look and, and, and being a woman, woman of color. I know that I get judged. I, and, and if you can prove them wrong, that's always how I feel about it then I will work hard to prove them wrong. I know I got the job. It doesn't mean anything. You have to also perform. Um, and, you know, you always have to perform and outperform because if I was lazy, honestly, I would get fired. I know that. And so you do you have to outperform everyone else because otherwise um, you won't survive. I don't, I don't feel like I would personally. And maybe I put that pressure on myself. Maybe it's just me mentally, internally registering that, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like I read people pretty well being an editor. That's usually the case. Like you should be able to read people pretty well and know how it is in the room. And it's not just me. I think a lot of people feel this way, um, especially women, that they do have to work extra hard because you're just not, you're not, you're not their best friend. You know, you're not as cozy cozy or you know in the same way I feel like guys have like this unspoken language that women and guys don't have I've seen it on like one of my first jobs ever uh I remember all the guys gathered in the editor I was an assistant all the guys gathered in the editor's room they were like chatting about women and like go and I and I felt so like oh that sucks you know like fuck I can't be a part of that. And you feel left out and it sucks. You just, you want to be part of the team. And just because you're not a guy, you, you know, you're not able to. And, um, and that's part of it. That's like kind of not fair in a way. And it's unfortunate, but it, uh, hopefully things are changing. It looks like more things are changing and it's changed in the last, that was like, like a long time ago that, you know, like almost 20 years ago or like 15 years ago. So, you know, in the last like 10 years, it's changed a lot. I feel like, um, but it still happens. I'll say this, like I've been on shows where, um, our entire, you know, editorial crew department was male. I mean, like the, I think maybe the, the, the PA was female and going now to other shows that do have more females and, and, I mean, the, the dynamics are just different in the room. Like, I, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, it's so important, like, n- not just to have, you know, females. I mean, it's just, it adds so, so much more, you know, the energy is just different. Yeah. And it's good to get that different also for what we do, I think, as storytellers, like, to get just a, a, a different perspective. It's just different energy. It is different. And it's, I mean, I agree. I think perspective is, is great. It's good to have, like I think a mix of everything I and I've seen shows where it's all women I've seen shows that's all men but I honestly the best environments I've been in have been split split 50 50 men and women multiple uh you know diversity um luckily on the the last season of the boys we had a lot of you know mix of everything and I thought that was a really good environment to be in um in just general, like, um, 
yeah, it gives you different perspectives and you can joke around and it's just different. The, the, the humor, different, I mean, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, 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 no, I, it, I've seen it firsthand and yeah, I, I do it's, believe it's in them. It's more fun for everybody. You know, one person doesn't feel left out then, you know, um, which is good. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, I mean, it's, uh, it's clear that you, you know, you talked about being uh, nice and, you know, getting along with people and working hard. Uh, helped you advance in your career. Uh, how? I mean, any other things that, that did help you kind of evolve from, say, sound to assistant editor to full time editor? Um, that you could tell people, um, you know, what this is, or, or strategies that you developed. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm luckily very good at being like a computer nerd. I like computers. I like the technology. I like solving problems, troubleshooting. I'm good at troubleshooting. Um, I'm, and so I think that's helped me a lot. And I also can read the room pretty well. I, I think reading, reading the room is very important. Knowing when to speak, knowing not when to speak is very important in editing, right? In the behavior of how you interact with the showrunners, with the directors, and especially being an assistant, I never really spoke unless spoken to. I didn't interject unless I felt like I needed to, or I needed to like ask a question so I could write down the right note or something. But I always try to like not push myself above where I felt like I needed to. Like I, not that I was invisible, but that like you're respectful and that they see you there and working hard, but not necessarily engaging as much as you should be or what, what, you know, some people are a little bit more animated in the room. I, I wasn't like that. I, I, I kept to myself. I did my job. If something needed to happen, I would do it, you know? Um, and it's hard to read the room. Not everybody understands it or understands how to behave. And so I think it's really important to know when to be able to talk and when you're not supposed to. And I've had a lot of assistants over the years who would just talk without ask, like, no, don't talk. That's not, that's not your place. The editor talks to the director. The editor talks to the, you know, showrunner. You sit quietly and write down notes. If there's a question that you need to ask so that you can do your job, sure, go ahead. That's fine. Um, And as you get more comfortable and it becomes jokey, jokey, and that's fine that over the years that like that relationship changes. But at first you should know where, how to behave in a room. And I think a lot of people struggle with this. And this is why people do not get bumped up. I've seen it happen a lot where people are like, I don't know why I haven't gone bumped up. It's all behavior. It's all how you act in a room. It's all how you present yourself to the showrunner, to the director. If you are able to do that properly, you will get bumped up. But a lot of people just don't, don't know. They can't, I, I don't know what it is. It's just not a learned behavior. Luckily for me, I am the youngest of three kids. I knew when to talk because I was always the one who couldn't. So I would interject when I could because at a young age, I learned how to do that. And that's just because that's how I grew up. And some people just don't know that. And and it's really difficult to teach. I don't know how to teach that skill set. And it's the and it's nothing to do with how you how well of an editor you are or not. It is really all about behavior. And I think if people knew that and learned that better, they would get bumped up. First, it's a, a personality thing, really. Totally. No, I mean, I look. I it, it, the, the short time that I've been doing this, I've seen some stuff. I mean, trust me, from just person, the, the people not getting uh, brought back to shows, not getting opportunities. Yeah. It, they're all good or great at their job. Yeah. It's their person. It's strictly personality. personality. I, I caught that on, you know, right away. I said, wow, this is, I see how this works. I, I, I'm like you. I think I was brought up this way. I, I think yeah. it comes from just my upbringing. It's a very difficult thing to teach because it's your personality, right? So how do you teach people to change their personality? Yeah, right. You just, exactly. You can't do that. And I, it's really, I mean, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I don't think people talk about this at all in the 
in the editing room. I mean, people are like, oh, this is how I got bumped up. And this is why I got bumped up. But people don't realize that the reason you got bumped up is also because of your personality. And people want to work with you because they like you. And, and you know, it's not always, yes, the most talented people get hired too. I'm not saying that. But also people who are crazy talented get hired too because they're fun to work with and you want to work with them because they're fun and you want to be around them and I get that like that's also part of the job so it's actually more important than the other part to be honest another thing that helps me is um in just general is doing stuff before people telling me to do it right so like say I know down the line, we need to get an ADR, like as an assistant per se, like you needed to get the ADR list and you need to do the continuity or whatever you needed to do beforehand as an assistant. This is what I would do. I would do everything that I could do that I thought of doing before anybody asked me to. I had it always prepared. If I had extra time in the day, I would always go through my list and be like, okay, I did that. I did that. I did that. What else can I do to stay ahead? so that I didn't fall behind when things came in or like say there was dailies coming in for the next episode. I would always have it all prepared beforehand. I think think my biggest fear was having the editor tell me what I needed to do before doing it, right? I think the, the like knowing that you're ready to get bumped up is like if you did it before they even told you. Like that is, I think when you know you're ready to get bumped up, like I already knew what he was, what he or she was going to tell me to do before, before, before they did tell me. So, um, I think that's very important, um, to be, to be ahead of, ahead of everything, um, knowing where, what, what's going to happen next. Um, I don't like telling my assistants what they need to do. I hope that one day they will do it before I tell them. That is that is my that is a big success in my book. If they do it before I tell them to do it, great. Like that's what you want. You want them to do it before you tell them to do it. Um, and and then that means they're ready. They're ready to know that this is this is this step, and the next step is this step, and the next step is this step before me telling them anything. I mean, don't you agree? I mean. Oh, no, totally. Are you like that too when you were an editor yeah, or and, assistant? Yeah, I mean, when I was an assistant, I mean, the thing, and this goes back to, I think, also uh, about each individual, how we are, how good are we at, at observing things, paying attention to things, because it didn't take me all these years to kind of like figure out someone and figure out how they work and their personality. It's like, I have to, I think, and I would say by myself, that I had the ability to pay attention and observe and to quickly say, okay, I see how this person works. I see what they yeah. like. You know, no one told me this. No one said, hey, this is I, yeah. I, this is just me me watching, paying internally. attention internally. Yeah. It's not like my editor would tell me, hey, do this, 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 this. Sure, maybe some things he would say, communicate what he likes. But for the yeah. most part, it's me seeing even, okay, how he likes his coffee, you know, or how he likes the lunch order. What does he usually right. get? I know that, you know, I remember uh, one of my editors, like, I knew he liked Pad Thai shrimp. And I know that times and when he was locked in there with the producers and could not put in a lunch order, I knew that I could order pad thai shrimp and he'd be happy. That, that is amazing. So, I mean, but I'm saying that, I mean, that is something, it is just me observing. Ah, I see, I got it. Yeah. And yeah, I was able to uh, get bumped up, I think, pretty quickly. And I think it was, uh, look, I have so much to learn still, but I think that it was, and people tell me, it's like, hey man, you just, it's you a personality it. thing. You it's get a, it. You get it, exactly. You get it, yeah. If, if, as an assistant, as an editor, if you can think ahead of the game, even to the showrunner, even to the director, like be like, oh, like I, you know, I've learned, and I haven't done this a lot, but like in the last few years, like, especially with the boys, we had a lot of missing pieces in spots. And so what we would do is we would create sequences and say we had storyboards or something we would cut in the storyboards and put sound and music and temp adr it and put it in the cut because it helps sell the story and at one point i had a sequence that we had not shot and i basically did still frames of i cut out still frames and put them in like the background and added temp adr and it helped the director shoot it you know and so doing stuff like that like uh, considered previs but like doing like previs and storyboards and temp 
temp sequences and helping it sell the cut, helping the, the showrunners and the directors sell their vision before it's been shot even is really important. And doing that before they ask you to is really important as well. I think, you know, I always say this, I, I, you know, I end up doing too much work and I end up feeling like I don't have as much face time with the showrunners because I do too much. And so they like, they're appreciative and they're like, oh, you did my job. Yay. Let me, let me do something else. And then I always feel like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> 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 you know, cause you don't get as much face time with people cause you, you've overdone stuff and and which is fine i think they appreciate it um but i was i was even talking to my sister yesterday i was like oh maybe i shouldn't do as much of that uh i think it's like it's a deficit in a way (laughs) not getting as much as much uh facetime with people but um it's okay it's okay i i think i think it's really smart to do stuff like that because it actually helps me pace the shows too like then I have a better rhythm of the episode in general, how the transitions work and whatnot. Um, if you feel like something's slow or not, it helps kind of, not that it's perfect, but it helps in a way judge the story better. Just just having a little bit of like storyboards, temp ADR or whatever. Um, it helps me anyway, um, especially since not everything's being shot at the same time. So going back to your kind of your starting sound, I mean, do, would you say that the sound or being a, a sound designer, having good sound design in, in, as an assistant got you more opportunities or, or set you kind of as like, oh, like the person they want to work with because you were so good at sound. And also now as an editor, are you critical of sound with your assistants <laughs> of the sound work? <laughs> so I'll start with the assistant part. Uh, when I did first start, I actually the editor who I worked with at that company that did um, Hallmark movies, she really liked my sound work. Like that's how I let, that's why she asked me to come back was because she really liked my sound work. And because I had such good training at USC, um, I was able to, um, you know, use that to my advantage to get ahead. And I liked it. I was like, my favorite part of the job was to do sound and put in footsteps. And I would probably overdo it. I think about it now. I was like, I probably overdid it, but like, I loved it. So I did it and I spent a lot of time on it. Um, I wasn't as good as mixing it. I didn't re- understand that concept as well back then. But um, I think that helped me get the job at uh this company called Larry Levinson Productions that did the Hallmark movies. And then also when I did uh, work on Rambo and Expendables and all those movies, um, I think that helped me as well. I think the editors really appreciated all the sound work that I did um, because I really would put in the in-depth as much as I could. Um, And that's helped me, yes, over the years. I think knowing how to do good sound makes you a good editor too and knowing where to make it loud and not as loud or, or whatnot. I think it really helped. I think it helped. Um, uh, and, and as I have gone, as I did get bumped up, I, it has been a very difficult thing transitioning from being an assistant, doing all your sound work to being an editor and not doing any of it. Cause I expect my assistants to do it. So for my assistants, you know, it's really, it was really hard to transition from having say me being an assistant doing sound to them them doing it and I've just learned that I have to let go of like it being perfect um my sister right now does an amazing job and I think he does as good of a job as I used to and I've learned over the years that I don't care as much (laughs) (laughs) um I care but I don't care as much as I used to I kind of let it go uh and maybe it's because my assistant does such a great job with sound that I just let him do it. And if I balance that, if I don't like something, I'll take it out or I'll tell him. And, but for the most part, he does it and he does a great job. And, um, I don't really have to worry about that part of my job anymore, which is really great. Um, now when he, be, when he gets bumped up and I get another assistant, maybe he'll change. But for the most part right now, I'm pretty happy with the sound, uh, work that, that he does. And, uh, um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've been critical in the past, especially when I first got bumped up and it was really difficult to let that go, but I'm good now. I think I've let go of the sound part. I think with, um, sound designers and mixes, I, 
um, a little bit more critical because they're you're supposed to they're supposed to be so good that sometimes I get disappointed in 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 some of the stuff I hear um, and it's just because it's temp love. I think part of it is like you're so used to your temp and how you mix things that when you do hear it on the stage, it's not as good as you think it should be. And I don't know why. I don't know why I feel this way sometimes. And I like it's nothing to the sound designers or the mixers. I just I don't know what it is. I just I wish it was better. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's because maybe you're you know we listen to something for so long in a certain environment and. And then suddenly you're hearing it for the first time, like in the, and probably something that's probably the proper calibrated monitors. It's like actually the right way. <laughs> yeah. But I know. we hear the, and maybe ours is not the, even, it has the worst play conditions, but, Problem, but you yeah. listen to it for months or whatever. And you're like, oh, all right, yeah. that's what's, I understand that. Yes. It is nothing against the sound department. It no. Really, no, at all. No. <laughs> it's just your ear gets conditioned for a certain environment. Um, I do want to talk to you now about The Boys, one of my favorite shows, and congrats on season two. I saw the trailer. So excited for it. I can't wait to watch it. Thank you. Just want, I want to hear your experience on that show, uh, but I want to hear more about that. But uh, first of all, how, how did you get the gig? Um, I actually, um, I know the showrunner, um, Eric Kripke. He was um, the showrunner on Revolution, which I got bumped up on. So he helped he and the the co-producer and the associate producer and the editor I was working with David Eisenberg shout out he's awesome uh he just got nominated for Watchmen um so uh they you know they were really supportive and I was um uh, it, Revolution was a very difficult show uh it was a first season show on NBC and I think they were really behind schedule. They were working late hour, late, late, working on all the early cuts and they needed someone to help just do dailies. And so, because I was kind of not outspoken, but like, I really do want to get bumped up. If you guys ever need anything, I'll be like, I'll cut anything. Of course you can change whatever. I'll just, I'm willing to do anything kind of a thing. I I put that into the universe, right? And so I ended up, just doing a lot of dailies and cutting a lot of dailies. I got bumped up for like a month just to cut dailies for them so that they, the editors wouldn't get behind. And so I think they saw that and um, they liked my work. And one of the editors left early um, to do another show. And so they had one more episode left. And then, so they bumped me up to do that one episode. And I guess I did a pretty good job because um that when the show got picked up, they brought me back for season two for Revolution and I became a full-time editor on that show. And I learned a lot that season. We had 22 episodes and I did eight, I think that season, seven or eight episodes. And the producing director, um, oh no, the, the, sorry, the supervising, what, what is his position called? He's either the co-producer or the supervising editor. I don't, I forget. I forget what the position was. Phil Sigrisha. He was, he was basically, he directed also, he was like the head of post. So he, he kind of had both those positions, but he, um, he was really helpful in the fact that like, you know, we would show cuts to him and then it would go to Eric Kripke. And so we, we there was like a pass like that he did with us as editors that was kind of tuned into what Eric wanted before, you know, he got to see it. So that was really helpful as a new editor, I think, knowing what they wanted in the cuts. And because I think it went so well, um, you know, when, when the boys came up, you know, many years later, they called me for that. So, um, I had emailed Eric randomly actually, and he mentioned it. Um, and, um, I, and, and the timing worked out where I wasn't on another show. So I, I, I was able to do this show and I'm very happy I got to do it. Cause it's so cool. The scripts were so good. I remember reading them and being like, Whoa, this is so cool and different. Uh, I really want to be a part of it. And, and I was very lucky to get the job and, uh, be a part of it. It was really fun. It's really hard, <laughs> but really fun. Uh, the reason it was so hard is because the schedule was kind of, 
I think we had 10 day shoots. I forget what it was 10. No, no, it was a little bit more than that. Like 12 day shoots at first, but the problem was that the directors weren't able to finish the episodes. So what would happen is that we'd have like a third of the episode, maybe a fourth of the episode missing by the time we moved to the, sec- the the next episode to be cut. And so we had a lot of holes in our episodes. And then by the time of, but the time they shot it all, I was getting dailies for all the episodes in. And so I was really overwhelmed. And I think just schedule wise, it was really difficult because of that reason. And so we just kept, I just, I felt like I was in daily the entire season and I just couldn't catch a break because of it. And because of that, I had three episodes that first season. Now we have one more editor in the rotation because it was so much work for me that they were like, we can't do that to the editors. We can't like overwhelm them. And so we have four editors now from season two on, they're doing four editors. So it's, so season two was a lot better. Not that that wasn't just as hard. It was just a little bit more of a breathing room <laughs> than say uh, season one. Season one was hard, was a lot for for me especially. I had I I was working like hundred hour weeks sometimes just to catch up because it was just so much, so much. And I had the finale, and that was you know you have to be caught up to dailies when you're doing the finale. So if something's missing, you can catch it um, because the shooting is done. And so you can't pick it up. So you have to make sure that you're to camera or you can, you know, the season can be ruined. Uh, so that's, that that's hard as well. I think, um, having to always be on top of dailies, especially when you're getting nine cameras, sometimes, uh, it's a lot. And sometimes I was getting second unit with first unit. And so you're just having to constantly cut and cut. And your brain is like, uh, mush at that point. You're like, am I doing a good job? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did, I mean, going back to that, that time, I mean, did you kind of, I guess, what did you do to kind of handle those challenges? I mean, as, as far as like, what kind of, kind of stress? Yeah. You're like, I don't remember what I did. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I know, I know I was, I was overwhelmed. <laughs> I'm sure people would be like, you were crazy. <laughs> you're, like Losing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've lost it before. We all have. Yeah, yeah, it's part of it's part of it's part of the part of the job. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure people would, would, but you know, it's it's fine. I I got through it. <laughs> I, I'm really proud of all the work. Everyone put in so much time and effort, and it was just not not just me. It was like the other three ed- three editors. Actually, there was four editors on the first season. The the pilot editor. He did one episode, David Trachtenberg, and then we had two other editors, um, David Caldor and Cedric Nairn-Smith, and they, shout out to them. They are amazing, and we all worked really well together. Um, we all helped each other. They helped me. Like, David helped me find a song for the finale. Like, you know, I'm really appreciative of everyone. We all showed each other's cuts. Everyone gave notes to each other. We all were really collaborative. And I think that's what makes the show so good is that we all kind of helped each other and we all like wanted to listen to each other. So I think that's very important also on a crew. You know, it can't just be about one person or uh, that, you know, we all have to collaborate and we all have to make the show cohesive and, and for throughout the entirety of the series because it's not just one editor it's you know four or whatever so i think it's it's the best part of the process in television is that you get to work with all these very talented people um and i learned from them and hopefully they learn from me and it's really fun um I think that's, it's lonelier in the feature world. It's like, there's only one editor usually and one assistant. Um, but in a series, you get to work with a lot of talented people. This was a, it's obviously would think it's a VFX heavy show. Uh, how was, how was it working with say, uh, you know, attempt VFX and just kind of setting up that, that workflow and that experience with, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, maybe you're obviously getting probably stuff down the line. Maybe you're not even there anymore, uh, you know, working on the show. I mean, like, uh, what was kind of like the experience like uh, on the VFX side with this type of show? 
We had a VFX editor the first season and we had two on the second season. You know, it's really great because I, I mean, I like doing my temp VFX and the stuff that I can't do, I give to our VFX editor and he is, he works in um, After Effects and it would be so amazing. Like, I mean, he could do temps if he, if we asked him to, he, he was Dane Collier, shout out. Awesome. Um, he, you know, he would just give us stuff from After Effects and we'd put it in. And if we had changes, he would, we'd give him changes to do and we'd put it in the cut. And, but it really helped timing, like doing temp VFX. We really need it for timing and making sure things worked. So, but like, um, the unfortunate part about the show is that we did get laid off when we locked the shows. And so we weren't there to see all the effects being put in. And sometimes that's hard because it's like, they change things because they have to, because sometimes visual effects don't work necessarily and they have to change your cut and they do a pretty good job. You know, I, I wish I'm like, you know, perfectionist and micromanager and my cuts. And so you kind of want to be there for all of that, which I, you know, unfortunately I'm not always there and that's okay. And I know they do a great job, um, but it would be fun to be part of that sometimes because you don't get to be as much in television. Now on a feature, I, I'm sure you get to do do more of that. Um, but on, on, on TV, just, uh, you know, it's so expensive to keep the editors on the whole season. I, I understand why the VFX editor, maybe an assistant stay, stay on to, to finish the show. Um, so, but it's just part of it. Yeah, I watched I watched your uh, episode two for season one last night. I, re- oh, I, re- yeah. I rewatched okay. it, and um, I was going to tell you, man, you get some good music in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really yeah. good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we. I mean, we try. It's really, you know, we. I I I think of the show as like the punk rock show, right? Like it's like very much punk rock in nature. Um, you know, it's not flashy. And I feel like the music is, is kind of the same way. And you'll, and this, in this new season, we have some, an artist we use a lot and I don't want to spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) This artist. And it's like in a lot of episodes and it's really fun because you're like another one of his songs. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I remember reading the script and and seeing the, the song that they wanted to use. And I was like, yes, can't wait, especially for episode one. Cause I did uh, episode one and five of season two, but the, the rest of the season is just as crazy. I didn't even get the crazy episodes this year. There's like, like there's like way other crazier episodes this year. Um, now, yesterday I was, uh, when, when the, that song, uh, from the damned came on yesterday, I was like, yeah, well, yeah. I was like, yeah, I love, I just love, I love that band. <laughs> it's funny that scene in particular, I, um, I, I had it cut pretty linearly and then I ended up, they're like, oh, let's put a song in there. And I remember my assistant gave me a bunch of songs and the music supervisor. And I really liked my assistant found it. And then the music supervisors found the same song. And so I ended up using that and then cutting it to the slams, the slams of the doors. And if you watch it again, I change, it changes people. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so to pace it up, because it's slow, right? You know, who wants to watch people getting out of the car? So, um, I think it worked really well. And I was really proud of that because I didn't think it worked at first. And then everyone kept watching and be like, this is cool. This is fun. And I was like, oh, cool. Also, and the song works really well. So. Yeah, no, it was great. Besides the heavy workload, were there any other kind of challenges with regards to maybe more, say, storytelling? Not really. I think these, well, luckily, especially the first season and I think the second season, the scripts were written way in advance. You know, like, so they thought through a lot. I mean, those scripts were, amazing um there were some other challenges like say like money challenges like say that we were supposed to shoot a scene that was gonna be way bigger and because of budget reasons like sometimes we didn't do those bigger scenes like we we maybe made them a little smaller because you wanted to make something in the finale or like a later episode bigger so there's like compromises and sometimes in that like we can, we can work with what we have right now. We don't need to do that extra thing. Um, we did have a scene in episode two and I think Kripke talks about it. Um, it was, um, basically 
Homelander masturbates uh, out in the open. And it was really cool. But Amazon did not want it in the cut. Uh, They thought it was too much for the second episode. And I mean, you know, who knows now how would people react? But it was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) It was hilarious. Um, And uh, there's this whole quote where he's like, I could do whatever the fuck I want, right? I could do whatever the fuck I want. I'm Homelander. Um, And the whole thing about the masturbation was him gearing up for that moment basically i could do what the fuck i want so it's um it's unfortunate we didn't get to put it in the cut uh, but it was it's uh, like i think about it i'm like i don't know i don't know if people would react better or not but it was a really fun moment i wish we like have like an extended cut or an alt cut we can have that we could put it in there Anthony's star is incredible a joy to cut he does ad lib a lot but like those ad libs really are kind of amazing sometimes um the scene with him in Stillwell where he's you know he she basically confronts him about shooting down the plane like I remember getting the dailies and it was like a lot of ad libs and I was and my assistant comes in my room and he's like I don't know about this scene he's like there's a lot of ad libs and I put it together and I was like whoa wow he is so good he would just like make these you know he you just saw his face change you know, and I just stayed on him. I remember being like, I'm going to stay on him. He's so good. And just stay on his face. And it's so surprising. Even just like the little, like the movements he was making with his faces, it just tells a story so well how he was feeling at that moment and how childlike he really is. And so, you know, those are amazing moments that you don't see in the script, right? You don't see that portrayed in the script it's what the actors do and give you and so when you see that you want to keep keep it on them and she was giving him the same back right back and forth and that that was one of my favorite scenes I've cut so far you you know it's funny because like you know my sister was like I don't know and then it turns out to be this like golden moment in in the episode and and seeing firsthand because because I don't think Homelander's in episode one a lot, but you see him in episode two a lot more. And so you really seeing how this guy's mind works and you really see how his, 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 how he, how he, how he perceives the world and is really interesting and their relationship and how he's like, her son, you know, and how like they have this like mother son relationship. Yeah, he wants to fuck her. So, yeah, no, it you was, know, I mean, like, that was you no, know, it was a you know very interesting uh, relationship. <laughs> very and, yeah, di- relationship dynamic, right? Dynamic, uh-huh. Having the scene in the in that episode is really, really like a really great. And then at the end where he sees her pumping, yeah, no. uh, through the wall, <laughs> wall yeah, and he, yeah. And then you find out later that she knows that he's looking through the wall, and I cut that scene too. So like, I had a lot of the scenes between them, a lot of their like where he's sucking her fingers like i cut that one too and i have a lot of those, those moments those weird, yeah. i was like why am i the like person cutting all those yeah. <laughs> very strange <laughs> very strange how do you pick up on those i guess you were saying like stuff like you're, it's not you know some stuff like it's like it's not scripted like these moments like how do you pick up those you know those nuggets those pieces that how could you describe that process is it just something that it's inside you that you're like i just have i'm aware of something that will work or th- something that fits this that is a certain beat? Well, I, I watch everything. I, firsthand, I think most important, I don't know if everyone, every editor does this, I do this. And I know it takes me a lot longer to cut scenes because of this, but I do it anyway. I watch every footage, every bit of footage I get, every single bit. I don't start cutting until I watch everything. And I think that is really important. And what I do while I watch dailies is I create a select reel. So as I watch, I pull things that, because as every, as everyone says, your first viewing is your most, is the viewing that is the best, right? Your first reaction to everything is always going to be the best reaction. Cause that's how everyone watches like the shows is like when, when you first see it, 
whatever sticks out to you that first time is probably the best thing, right? Usually in my, not in my case. So when I watch dailies that very first time, I go through and pull out all the nuggets that I find the best. Doesn't necessarily mean I use it all, but it helps me guide me in my cut. And sometimes this takes me a lot longer than another editor cutting a scene, but I feel like I really get to know the footage if I do this. And I really know what's the best stuff in the footage. And and it's, it's actually really helpful. It's helped me along the way. I feel like I really do get all of the best stuff that, that they've shot. And sometimes I can't always use it all. And sometimes it doesn't work with all the other stuff. tone and whatnot but you know you select you you weed it out you weed out what you use and what you don't and and that's usually how I go through the footage doesn't work for everyone I'm sure you have your own process but that's my process anything we can expect from season two more blood more gore I'm sure you've seen all the the trailer stuff I think uh you know story-wise we get into like more of what's happening today with our world, with BLM and all that stuff. I think that's like you get get a, a little more of that. I don't think that's going to ruin anything. Um, some more characters, more new characters. A new character. We have a new character named Stormfront, played by Aya Cash, and she's amazing and so much fun to cut. Uh, great addition this season. Um, we have, you know. Uh, other new characters i don't want to spoil anything so just watch you'll you'll enjoy it i mean uh, the, the difference this year is that they're releasing the first three and then they're gonna then release them weekly so that the hype keeps going and then there's gonna be an after show so um there's gonna like so it's like the talking dead there's like a behind the scenes with the boys or something like that i forget what it's called sorry i'm, I'm bad, <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Um, but there's an after show and um, so they'll be on after any time they release it. So that's cool. What was the funnest part of working on the show for you? I think with the people, um, everyone's so great and so nice. And uh, Kripke, Eric Kripke is lovely. He's awesome and crazy and uh, so energetic and pumped for this show. And, you know, working with him is really fun and like, getting to to be in the room with him and see how his brain thinks. And I think it's really, really fun. Uh, and just the crazy characters and like, there's some crazy freaking scenes in the show. And some of it's gross, some of it's like outrageous. And I think seeing all that, I think I saw the whale scene. I didn't do that episode, but uh, that shit's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, like that, like more, more stuff like that. Definitely in the show, crazy CGI and VFX work that went into it. So, um, I, and lots of great music, great music. You'll, you know. It's great to to hear about your experience on The Boys. Like I said, it's it's an amazing show. I I, I love it. It's one of my favorites and. Again, congrats on uh, season two. I'm Thank so you. excited. Yeah. Uh, I just have two two kind of rapid fire questions. Um, sure. And we'll finish this off. Uh, but I just I opened this up to the Hollywood editing mentor community, so to our listeners uh, who are fans of your work. Uh, so just kind of like quick questions here for the fans. Uh, how was it like working on Grandma's Boy? Oh my God, who was that? Oh, uh, it's amazing. Uh, Grandma's Boy was really fun. Uh, I, I did some dialogue editing on the last reel and uh, I remember watching it. It was Jonah, no- Jonah Hill's first movie and been like, who's this kid? He's so good. Yeah. Great, great first movie to work on. I was actually still a student at USC when I went and worked for uh, this sound um, company called 424 Post with Kami Asgar. He's like an Academy Award nominated sound designer. He's also Persian. That's how I know him through my sister, uh, <laughs> through a, a patient of my sister's who introduced me to him. Course, Small world, course, right? No, of course. So we have a... to use the Persian, Persian connection somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, shout out to them. They're awesome. Uh, love them. Yeah. Great. One more question. And what are what items are you constants for you that you take between shows for your edit bay? Uh, a wireless mouse. 
<laughs> I take, I have like, like a tool, tool supply, say like, um, paper clips, you know, like, uh, a stapler, a three hole puncher. I have USB sticks. I take a rug. I always have a rug in my room. It makes the room nicer. Uh, I do usually have, uh, posters of old shows on the wall. If I, if I, if I'm in there long enough, I'll do that. What else? I bring my own pens because I like my own pens. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, I have too. my, uh, <laughs> I have um, my own, um, what is this called? What is this called? I can't think of it. A, 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 a notepad? A notebook? Notepad, yeah, no, thank you. No, Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. Thank you. What I is this paper nice... thing? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I, I, like, I get nervous. Um, a notepad, I always bring a, uh, my own cup. I like my own cup for coffee and that's about it. Yeah. I have my, I have my own little, I have like my own little pack of stuff that I bring. Uh, I even have like a light that I bring that I put on my desk. So yeah. Want to make it homey. Yeah. Yeah. I have like, you know, I have like a, like a, like even in my room here, I have this Persian rug. Oh yeah. Nice. But like something yeah. like that. Yeah, I have no. like something like that. It's different. But similar to that, it makes it really bring the room together. Actually, there's an editor that I worked with and he was like, what's the size of your rug? I really want to put one in my room. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would, I think that's something I would like to have for sure. Yeah. In mind. Yeah. Um, no, thank you very much. This was great. I really enjoyed talking to you, to you. It's a, it, it's a complete total pleasure. Uh, I see you um, talk to you too. Um, people are right. You are awesome. You're really cool. And, and thanks again for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I hope I didn't sound too stupid. Or, <laughs> <laughs> um, or if I, yeah, hopefully I give good advice. Um, so hopefully people can take it to grain of salt. Everyone has their own experiences and you should use your gut as well. I didn't say that, but I always tend to use my gut. It will steer you in the right direction always. Believe in how you feel and don't feel like you're missing out on everything because you aren't. You, you're there to do what's right for you and no one else. And you just have to make sure you know that going into everything you do. So trust yourself. I always tell people you have to trust how you feel because otherwise, you know, what's the point? Mm, great, great advice just for career and also just life i think in general yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh but no great advice and and totally appreciate it and thank you nona uh and good luck on uh, on your next show thank you i appreciate it. you too let's hope this pandemic ends soon yes. so that we all can see each other yes have a big um, party and thank you i appreciate i appreciate you having me on this show great job so far i love all your episodes so thank you thank you nona Lots of great information there from editor Nona Kodai that can be of help to assistants and editors alike. I really liked how she talked about the role of behavior and personality in advancing our careers in post-production and how it's so important to simply be nice. Thanks again for listening to episode six of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And sign up for the Hollywood Editing Mentor newsletter at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash join. I'm putting together some online video courses and as part of the founding members group, you'll be getting exclusive access to these courses. So sign up today at hollywoodeditingmentor.com slash join. Thanks again for all your support. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Stay positive, everyone. Stay positive, everyone.